0: Go to your table of contents, because you probably need it for this one. Find the book of Ezekiel. Now, last week, we were in Jeremiah, and it comes kind of after Ezekiel. If you get to Daniel, you've gone a little too far. Come back to the left. Find Ezekiel. We're going to be in the third chapter of Ezekiel, and I'll try to introduce him to you. Uh, You know anybody in your life uh, with the name of Zeke? Okay. If you know anybody named Zeke, they were probably named after this guy, even whether they know it or not. Um, The most famous Ezekiel, uh, probably in history, is right here. Now, I've got to ask you the question. We're going to talk about food a little bit for the next little bit. Would you rather eat spinach or Brussels sprouts? Spinach? Doyle looked at me like to say no. Neither. Tofu or cottage cheese? Cottage cheese. Yeah, you know. Any, any tofu fans in here? Um, mushrooms or turnips? When Rhonda was a kid, her dad slipped a turnip in with her, her scalloped potatoes, and she's never gotten over that. <laughs> <laughs> Mayonnaise or sour cream? Mayonnaise? Okay. Uh, see? R- both. Somebody says both. How about liver or spam? Spam! <laughs> oh wow! Uh, Yuck! Pea yeah. soup <laughs> or lima beans? Pea soup? Yeah. I I don't think there's a really good choice either place. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna learn today about um about a guy who was told to eat something that he wasn't really all that sure about. Um, now if you've had if you're like me, um, you go to a restaurant maybe you've never been before. And somebody orders something says, here, eat this. Uh, That makes me really uncomfortable, okay? Uh, By the way, if Joe takes you to Cattleman's, don't eat it, okay? Don't eat because he'll put something in front of you that, yeah. Uh, You know, he's kind of a cowboy. You know, Cattleman's has interesting fare. Now, um, uh, so maybe there's a food that, uh, you know what I'm talking about. The meat and taters are fine. It's the other stuff. that Okay. Now, uh, so maybe there's a food that others eat that you're likely to say, no, thank you. My, my mother, who was an expert cook, uh, had lots of things that she just didn't eat. She didn't eat cheese in any variety, which is interesting, although she cooked with it. I, I never caught that. She made great iced tea, but never drank it. Uh, it was very interesting, would not it? And dad would kind of, Try to slide some stuff over to her. No way. She's just not going to take it, take it. So maybe, maybe you're that. Uh, for me, um, don't invite me to eat Thai food. Been there. Couldn't figure it out. Okay. Uh, went went uh, with an, uh, for an office gathering and they, to a Thai place. And if that's your favorite stuff, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for you. It, it's just not going to work for me. Okay. It's like, what is this? You know. Um, don't ask if we go to eat Mexican foods, which I'm good with. Don't ask me to eat habaneros. Okay. I don't do stuff that hot. And, um, so maybe that's kind of your, um, so have you ever had someone taught you to try an exotic dish with the words, just try it. Now, what's going to happen? We've been talking about the call of all these prophets and leaders in the old Testament, literally God is going to put something in front of Ezekiel and say, okay, I want you to eat this. And we'll see what that is in a little bit. Let me give you some background on the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah, but he was quite a bit younger. Uh, Jeremiah was, um, they were both alive when Jerusalem fell in 586 uh, to the Babylonians. But Jeremiah was likely some years older. In fact. Um, um, Jeremiah's call was in about 626 uh, B.C. We believe that Ezekiel was born. Okay, so we looked at Jeremiah's call in Jeremiah 1 last week. That was probably about 626 uh, B.C. The fall of Jerusalem was in 586 B.C., 40 years or so later. Um, Ezekiel was probably born somewhere around 622 B.C. So that's kind of where we're going to be. Uh, Ezekiel, if you if you read any this week in this, I know I told you to kind of prep for chapter three. But if you read the previous couple chapters, you're going to realize that he was in, he's introduced to us as a priest. And the truth is, that's what he would have been had it not been for the tragic turn of events in the southern kingdom of Judah of which he was a part. Um, when Um, Jerusalem finally fell. In 605 B.C., so that had been when he was a teenager, Daniel and his friends were carted off to Babylon and then Ezekiel's relocated to Babylon as part of the second stage of that exile. He was taken among 10,000 people from Judah to Babylon as an exile in that second phase and that would have happened in about 597. Daniel and other Jews were taken to serve in the king's palace. We can read about you can read about that certainly as you read the book of Daniel. Uh, what are his three friends that also serve in the king's palace? Daniel's friends? Your shack, my shack, and a bungalow? Yeah, that... Something like that. Anyway, yeah, they have other Hebrew names, but they're known by their Babylonian name. Um, uh, is that the Oklahoma translation? Okay, sorry. Uh, anyway, the, those guys are serving in the court. They're in the king's palace. They get the best of foods. You remember part of that story. But Ezekiel finds himself in a completely different condition or setting. He's going to live among the exiles. So there's 10,000 people or so along the Kabar River, which is you can find that in the very first verse of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, And even there, the hand of the Lord was on him and began to talk to him and call him from that place among 10,000 of his peers, uh, fellow exiles on the Kabar River. Now, the call begins, if you read any of the first couple of chapters here this week, the call begins with an intense display of what Ezekiel describes as the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Remember that Ezekiel sees the wheel turning, all right? That's followed by this command, and he says this. Son of man, stand up on your feet and I'll speak to you. That comes in the first verse of chapter 2. And uh, his visions are, like some of the others, are going to include both sights and sounds. The sound was the voice of the Lord. The sight was this awe-inspiring glory of the Lord. And then an outstretched hand that uh, uh, held out a scroll. And that scroll is going to factor seriously into his call And what we're going to deal with today, Uh, so so basically, when we pick it up in chapter three, uh, Ezekiel is has been seeing a scroll outstretched uh, from the hand of the Lord as the Lord begins to call him. Now, Steve Blair, can I get you to read for us, if you would please, starting with chapter three, if you'd read the first four verses.
1: And he said to me, "Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll." Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them.
0: Okay, can I- Somebody at your table, if you don't mind to, keep your finger there because we'll come back to it. Go to Daniel 7. There are a couple of things we've got to cover in Daniel. Now, God addresses Ezekiel how? Son of man. Where have you heard that expression before? In the New Testament. It's actually interesting because we've got to spend just a minute here delineating this. It's actually Jesus' favorite name for himself. When Jesus refers to himself, he doesn't call himself typically the son of God. He calls himself the son of man. All right, so in case of what's the connection here? There really is not a connection here. Um, this is uh, this title that God uses to describe to to call out to to Ezekiel, and he's going to call out to him using these terms ninety times in the book of Ezekiel. Son of man, do this. Son of man, do that. All right, but that's not the same reference. It's not uh, capitalized like it would be um, uh, if if it were. Um, referring to what the Gospels refer to, as Jesus refers to. Now, what when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's making a not at all veiled reference to what Jeremiah predicts in Jeremiah thir- 7, and I think it's what, verse 13 and 14? Yeah. Mind to read that, Steve? Sorry, like I said, Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. I was flying by the instruments there for a minute. Thank you. Does that sound like it's
1: describing a young preacher
0: with a beard that's living with 10,000 exiles in Babylon by the Khabar River? It sounds like a unique description, doesn't it? So when Daniel describes the Son of Man, capital S, he's talking about Jesus from 600 years or so before his birth. And he's saying, he's coming, he's coming. So when we read this, don't get confused here. Don't get confused when you read God calling Ezekiel Son of Man. That's just a reference to his humanness, to his mortality. When Jesus uses it, okay, I, I make, I'm not making a stretch at all. If you if you understand the New Testament, when Jesus uses the term Son of Man, he's using it to refer to what Daniel. I had to think for a minute. Almost said Jeremiah again, Steve. What Daniel predicted here in Daniel seven. The one who is coming to be the Son of Man, the Savior, the, uh, the one who would save the world. So uh, it's kind of that deal. So now this preacher is told then, after he's addressed as Son of Man here, he's told to do a really unusual thing. What's the thing? Eat the scroll. Now look for a minute at 2.10. On the scroll, the scroll is kind of described here. In 2.10. So just kind of look, if your Bible's like mine, just look up the page. When he spread it out before me, the scroll, it was written on the front and back. And what was written on it? Bad prophecy. Yeah, bad stuff, Sally. Uh, mourning and woe. In other words, the kind of stuff that, you know, there are parts of the newspaper that you read because you want to. You know, the sports page and you, you read stuff you want to read. Um, there are parts of it, I, I discipline myself every day to read the editorial page, because it, but it's not usually pleasant to read. It's usually bad news, so much of the time, because of our world. What was written on both sides of this scroll was bad news, predictions yet to come. And God holds that out to him. He's read it. And then God says, eat it. Beginning of verse one. And we're going to see how he responds to that. Now, if you look at verse two, uh, Ezekiel is obedient. Or you can put the word compliant. He does it. Now, I did a little bit of research here. And if those of you who are smarter than me or, or more read or more more uh, versed than me, if I've got this wrong, um, write me and I'll write everybody and let them know. But I I think I'm right. This was not, did you ever eat paper in school? Chris, I guarantee you ate paper in school. (laughs) Probably in my class, you ate paper, okay. Uh, 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 By the way, it's hard for me to call him Chris, although I think I've always called you Chris, haven't I? Everybody else calls you Tobin, but you know. Uh, If you ever ate or watched, Students eat paper in school selling when you were teaching? Uh, You know, uh, why, but okay. This is not that kind of paper. This is not made out of wood pulp. It's not even made out of papyri. That's not going to come until later. Now, you're the History Channel expert. Find out if I'm right on this. I think I'm right on this. (laughs) That what a scroll would have been written on is known as vellum. Vellum, which is some kind of animal skin. In fact, by by definition, vellum means calf skin. It's it's similar to when you order veal at Cattleman's. Okay, you're ordering baby cow. All right, Uh, I think. Am I right? Isn't it veal calf? Okay, this is calf skin that's been um, kind of uh, dried and and cured. To be able to accept ink, and ink was weak, and the vellum was weak, it actually literally, they could wipe it off. Uh, It it didn't bite nearly enough, even in those days. But, so, um, when Ezekiel is asked, eat this, he's not eating paper. He's eating dried calf skin. Make you hungry? Huh? I know it wasn't like jerky at all. You can go there if you want to, but it wasn't jerky. Okay? It was nasty, is what I'm trying to, okay? It, can you imagine in that couple of moments? I, by the way, uh, if I look a little bleary eyed this morning, Rhonda does, we've got six extra people in our home this morning. Uh, our kids are here. It's wonderful. And uh, we've been loving on a seven month old this morning for a while. and. Uh, But, you know, lots of stuff that I put in front of Violet, who's six, she will say, well, that's yucky. (laughs) Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Ezekiel was compliant and didn't say when uh, God put this in front of him, huh, no, that's yucky. He could have. He probably thought it, although I'm not sure how the word yucky translated into Hebrew, but probably thought it. But he was compliant. He was obedient. He did what God told him to do. And so, let's read verse 3 again. Here we go. He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach. Fill your body with this scroll which I'm giving you. Then I ate it, he says. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Interesting. For the preacher here, for this preacher, for this prophet, God's word was to be his spiritual nourishment. Now, there's a couple of references that I want us to go to, and I want you to turn there with me. So turn back to the very middle of your Bible, to Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. How do we know that? Well, we know that because you're going to go to verse 103, and it still isn't done. Okay, so 119, 103. All right. Psalm 119, verse 103. So you're going to go back to the left about a quarter inch, depending on how big your Bible is. And here's how David describes the Word of God. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, uh, go with me also, if you will, the opposite direction. Let's go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 4. And see what Jesus has to say about it. Verse 4 You've heard this, Matthew 4, 4. He, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's word was to be Ezekiel's food. It became Jesus' food, and it ought to be our spiritual food. God's Word. I have found that the older I get, the more, okay, you could argue mature, although I know that's debatable. The more I crave spiritual food. Uh, I I literally, uh, it's hard for me to go without it on a particular day. In fact, if I get to the middle of the morning and I haven't stopped to read it it, meaning God's word, my spiritual food. I feel it. I feel anemic. I feel weak. Okay? And that's a good thing. God through his son said, man doesn't live on bread alone. Ezekiel eats it here. And he's implied here in verse three is that he's to fill up on the word of God. But As yucky as he thought it would be, he's surprised by how it tastes, eating this vellum with woes and judgments written on both sides of it. How does it taste? Sweet sweet as honey. honey. Now, you gotta, Joe got it right. You You gotta connect with this just for a minute. The day in which they lived, all right, they didn't have a Have you noticed McDonald's doesn't have all of the sweeteners now that they used to have? If I go in to buy McDonald's tea, which I like, I have to take my own sweetener because I drink in my tea the pink stuff. What do you drink in your tea? The yellow stuff. Now, they got the yellow stuff, but I don't do the yellow stuff in tea. It's just a matter of personal taste. What do you put in your tea? Do they have it at McDonald's? Nothing. Okay, you're, you're not helping me at all, all right? The real deal, you want sugar in yours if you're gonna put anything in it, okay? Uh, all right, now here's the deal. There wasn't high fructose corn syrup in Ezekiel's day. There wasn't the yellow stuff, nor the pink stuff, nor even the blue stuff. Do they still sell the blue stuff? Do they? Rhonda uses the green stuff, and it's really quite nasty. I don't care for that at all. Stevia or stevia or whatever? Real men don't use anything. Okay. Spoken as a true Texan. I like that. Here's the deal. If you wanted something sweet in Ezekiel's day, you had one option. Honey. And it was a delicacy. It was what they most desired. In fact, you'll hear it all over, the Old Testament especially, when they talk about craving something they're craving honey or the honeycomb or when they're talking about something being really sweet Joe right into here I have a question okay not about bread, bread, but our daily bread? He, he's asking could the discussion of, of um, uh, man does not live on bread alone could that be a part of the lord's prayer Now remember That that analogy carries through a lot of the New Testament, certainly to um, uh, to the um, uh, the Lord's Prayer. He's actually in the Lord's Prayer talking specifically about food. But you could, if you wanted to extrapolate, you probably could. The the idea is, though, in a couple places. If you read John six, he calls himself the bread of life. In John 13, when he initiates the Lord's Supper, he says, This is my flesh, when he hands him the bread. So there's all kinds of analogous things here. Now, so when Ezekiel says, This tasted like honey to me, not only was that a good thing, but it was the good of the good of the good of the good. This tasted like honey to me. I expected to not taste quite like jerky. And it tasted like honey to me. It was sweet in my mouth. Now that is a a statement here in verse three, I think, of um, uh, what would happen for the rest of Ezekiel's life. The word of God, the proclamations of God, even hard things about scripture become a delicacy to him. And it tempers and, and And colors the way he lives his life. Now, I'm going to say to you, if you haven't yet, if you haven't yet, by the way, if you can read about this in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, um, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I think there's an implication there that you can choose what you will hunger for. You can choose. you got a choice what you'll hunger for. And what I'm going to advocate for you is to develop, cultivate a hunger for the word and the words of God. Like Ezekiel did. My prediction is, according to Psalm 119 and according to Ezekiel 3, it will become sweet to you if you'll let it. If you'll let it. Now, look at verse 4. God is going to say, it's part of his calling here, God is going to say, there are some things I want you to do. Son of man, remember he addresses him that way again. Go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. So the idea here is uh, there's three essentials here. If he's going to convey God's message, okay, he's going to have to go. okay. He's going to have to go. And this is true in any era. This isn't just for Ezekiel. This is for you and me. In any era, if God is calling me to to deliver a message of some kind to someone, he's first going to say, go. And then secondly, he's going to tell me to whom, okay, you need an audience. In this case, who was Ezekiel's audience to be? Israel, God's people, Ezekiel's own people. Many of them, most of them, who had been carted off to Babylon like equal Ezekiel was. By the way, the ones that were still spoken to, preached to, predict, uh, prophesied to, that stayed back in uh, Jerusalem, do you remember who who their preacher was? Jeremiah. He preached to the ones who didn't get carted off to Babylon, and it was not a good gig. That's why they called him the weeping prophet. He had a rough time in Jerusalem. So Ezekiel is going to speak to uh, exiles of his own people. And then, so you're going to need to go, you're going to need an audience, and then you're going to need God's message. And, and, God gives him a promise here that he's given to us in other places. He gave it, as we studied it, he gave it to Moses. He gave it to, um, uh, certainly to Jeremiah, who we looked at last week. God said, if you're worried about what you're going to say, you don't need to be because I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And remember, he'd already experienced God's word is sweet. Okay? Okay, so he's gonna he's going to do that. And and he will he will satisfy then. Now, Steve, since you are going to be with us for the rest of the hour, all right, at least if you leave today, I'll know why. Read verse five, six, and seven, will you?
1: You are not being sent to a people of, of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to They would have, we seem to be cutting out. Okay, keep at it. Surely I if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. Okay, now, who is...
0: Ezekiel's primary target audience, according to verse five and verse four as well, his people, his people, Israel. Okay. Those that are around him that he's living around here in exile. Okay. So he says to Ezekiel, this is interesting. He says, you're not going to be sent to a people with unintelligible speech, but with those who talk the same language that you do. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You would think at first blush that it's a really good thing. Okay, I was with a guy um, early this week who's recently come to work for us at the university who spent three years in China, most of that time just learning the language. I, I get to thinking about how much work he had to do before he was ever able to share with anybody just learning the language, learning how to... How to communicate. I have a friend who died this last week, lifelong friend of my parents, who uh, lived and worked for 40-plus years in Japan as a missionary. He went in in the 50s. Now, if you remember when the 1950s were taking place, it wasn't long after, uh, not that long after the ending of World War II, and this man and his wife raised their family in in Japan. And when, um, brother Kretlow, his name was Orlo Kretlow. When he would tell me about his life there, you probably met Kretlow's back in the day, didn't you? He would talk about how he had to create, once he learned the language, then he had to create, um, the word, create a word or an expression or, or a description of the word sin because they had no word for sin in their language. So he had to create that. How could you share the gospel without talking about God's remedy for sin? So Brother Cretlow had to do that for all those years. By the way, those of you who knew my dad knew that he wasn't always appropriate. He's, <laughs> these people came to my house numerous times when I was growing up and mom would feed them ham for a week. And uh, um, and dad called Orlo, who was, you know, from the Northwest somewhere. He started calling him Fu Ling. Anyway, because he was with all, you know, that's my dad. But uh, now, so he says here, I'm not going to send you, um, I want you to go with me to the right just a little bit to Daniel. Next book to the right. Daniel 1. We're going to talk about Daniel's call here for a second because Daniel's call will be different from, um, From Ezekiel's. Here's what God says to Daniel, all right? Uh, He's talking about, um, well, actually, this is not God's edict, but it's just talking about uh, Daniel's life in 1 4. Youths in whom there was no defect, Daniel was one of them, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So the first thing that Daniel and his friends had to do when they got to the court of Babylon is learn Babylonian culture and Babylonian language. Compare that with Ezekiel's job. He didn't have to do that at all. Okay. But God is going to be really clear here. Look at verse six, back in chapter three of Ezekiel. God's going to be really clear here. Nor to many people's unintelligible speech. He's not going to send them unintelligible speech, people. That's where he sent uh, Daniel. Or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand, but I've sent you to them who should listen to you. There is a historical precedent to this statement. I put a reference to Jonah 3. Remember, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and finally went to a people that would would have trouble understanding him, and they were hanging on every word he had to say, even though it was a message of judgment. Okay, there's a historical precedent here. So he goes. Uh, He is to go. To speak to his own people, to a people who would understand the language, okay? But much like Paul's realization in the book of Acts, remember, Paul, in every place he went in the book of Acts, would set up shop in the Jewish synagogue, wherever he found one, and he would begin to speak the gospel to the nation of Israel, to people who knew they with whom he knew the culture and knew their language and what was typically the response. In a lot of places, they beat him up, stoned him a time or two. He had to escape. There were a few who believed, but he finally realized that my audience is Gentiles, people of a foreign culture. God's going to say to Ezekiel, you're going to go speak to your own But I'm going to tell you, they're pretty hard-headed folks. So look at verse 7. In verse 7, there's this thought here. He says, The house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. So what I want to say to you here, and, and go with me if you will, to chapter 33 just for a second. Listen to what they're saying when Ezekiel preaches. They actually like the way he preaches. 33, and we're going to go down to verse 30. As for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another. Okay, so they're talking about his preaching. Speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. Is that complimentary or detrimental? detrimental. Very complimentary. They come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. (laughs) For they do the lustful desires expressed with their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they don't practice them. So when it comes to pass, as surely as it will, they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. Here's what, I'm going to use a word here, and I I want if I don't get through anything else, I've got to get through this. They see him as an entertainer. And there's a danger here. They see Ezekiel as an entertainer. Do you see how God described their response to his words? This guy is really good. In fact, you notice over there in 33, come with me to hear Ezekiel preach catch that okay now what i've got i I can't resist the temptation of doing is think about the latest and greatest preacher on the tube today or in churches today who is everybody flocking to go here and the issue is that preaching has to be more than just entertainment even though that's a part of it God is going to say in 1 Samuel, he's going to say to Samuel, again, and remember, when they're asking for a king instead of you, remember, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. He's going to say the same thing to Ezekiel. He's going to say, you're going to preach, and they're going to love your preaching, but they're going to reject it. And when they do it, you just remember, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me just like they have before. Now, we've got to kind of get this. There's a danger here. Be careful in following one who's good at just rhetoric, but there's no message. Be careful at following the latest and greatest voice. So what's the advice for me as a speaker, as a teacher? Tell the truth. Even when it hurts, But tell it well. Okay. He wasn't saying Ezekiel, you're way too entertaining. In fact, there was there's there's a point at which that that the message is enhanced by the voice and the preparation and the skill and talent and gifting of the teacher or the preacher. But tell the truth. Tell it well tell the truth. I've heard those who are great at rhetoric and I thought wow. And an hour later I thought but what did they have to say? Okay. I, I think there's a danger here. Now Steve would you read 8 through 11 and we'll finish up real quick.
1: But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by, by them, though they are a rebellious house. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen.
0: I think that did it. Okay. Now, God has no interest in making the prophet's message less offensive. Now, I want to be really careful with that. And I got to get this because God is not saying, I want you to be offensive for the sake of making an offense. Okay. It, I, I want to be really careful with that. Our church does really well with this, of, of writing that, that uh, careful line. Um, between telling the truth and and causing an offense. He says, Ezekiel, you're to be, but he does say this, if you catch it. He talks about Flint. Did you catch the word Flint? He's saying, you're going to go to a hard-headed people, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you just as hard-headed as they are. I'm glad that God has put in my life over the years some fairly hard-headed people who told me the truth. Now, not being offensive for offense's sake. Ephesians 4.15 says that you and I need to speak the truth in love, but speak the truth nonetheless. That's kind of the idea here. All right? The word that, the name Ezekiel literally means God hardens. In other words, he literally, his name means hardhead. I've chosen you because you're going to a hard-headed people, and I know you're hard-headed just like they are. So that's a good thing. So God has no interest in making the prophet's message less offensive. And as he kind of deals with it, Ezekiel continues to deal a little bit with what the rest of our, our heroes in this whole study have, fear. It's a common reaction to God's call. And so he goes back to him, verses 10 and 11, that Steve read a moment ago. And he says, okay, you have taken God's word into your stomach. Now I need you to take it to heart, to heart. Okay, here's my last thought. You heard it last week uh, as uh, Cliff Sanders spoke to us in the last couple of weeks. One of the things I've heard him say a few times in my lifetime and you heard him say last week i believe is that that the proof in the pudding in the teaching okay is not how good the teacher is did you catch him say that last week it's not in how good and how effective and how 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 slick and communicative the the teacher is the proof in it all whether or not the truth connects is in the soil that's Jesus parable of the soils remember the seed and the sower he says if it connects with you it will be because the soil of your heart has been tilled and made ready for the seed here's my question what kind of soil are you what kind of soil are you now remember with this this whole series we've been talking about what god is calling you to and i'm going to say it again God is calling you to something, regardless of your age, regardless of your, your experience, regardless of how busy you are. Is your heart soft to take his message to heart? All right. Next week, we're going we're to meet Amos. Amos. And if you'll read what you can of Amos, but we're going yes, to park in Amos 7 talking about the call of God to Amos. I think we'll have fun with this one. He's an interesting guy, um, and we'll learn a little bit about Amos. Okay? Have a great Sunday.